0: Good morning, everyone. So we're going to be continuing our uh, series on the household of God. I like what Pat said this morning. He said, it's how you hold the house together. I was like, oh, that's good. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but we had an election last week, right? And you guys are still smiling, so that's a good sign. You know, I was looking at it, and uh, people are getting pretty... uh, excited about it. So it kind of reminds me of uh, Europe when they're in the soccer season and the guys are all at each other and stuff like that. So we're getting there. We're getting there. So we're going to be reading from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have a, a phone, you could put it on and put it there as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I exhort therefore that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us that the first thing that we need to do is pray. Not the second thing. The first thing that we need to do is prayer. So what is prayer? As basic as that may sound, right? But with that question, what I want to do is maybe we should look at uh, what prayer is not also. Right? Many people have this understanding that it's like a genie in a bottle. You know, if you rub it just the right way, you'll get your wishes answered. Prayer is not a formula of uh, certain sentences or actions that you do constantly and repeat in a certain order in order to get access to God. That is not what prayer is either. Prayer is not about mentioning certain key words so that the Almighty will open up His ear. Oh, I heard certain key words over here. Someone wants to be talking to me. The Bible says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. It also says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So think of it this way. If in our private time our prayer with God is lacking or non-existent, but yet when we get into the public sphere, we try to demonstrate our ability to speak to God, to those around us, and we do that, and so we lay it on thick in order to try to impress them and make them think more highly of us, well then it might be safe to say that we're missing the point. So then what is prayer? Well, simply put, prayer is just having a communication with God. It's this form of bi-directional communication. Meaning that it does not only involve speaking, but it most likely involves listening. You know, sometimes I'll be having a conversation with my little guy there, and we're, you know it's about my turn to say something, and he'll have like three different conversations going on at once, talking about three different things, and I'll be you know trying to get my, my two cents in about something, and I'll have to stop him. And I'll be like, you know, Micah, you have one mouth and two ears, so you should be doing half the talking and twice as much listening, you know. At which point he's usually rolling his eyes. I mean, he's like, oh, simple math, you know, all kind of stuff. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to remind him that uh, conversation is not about uh, just talking. It's about listening. It's actively listening, not just pretending to be listening. It's active. So you're not just trying to get a bunch of words in this allotted amount of time. So it's no wonder that we come across certain problems in relationships or issues in the workplace. They can often be attributed back to a lack of communication between the actual individuals that are involved. You know, sometimes we don't speak when we need to speak and sometimes we're not listening when we need to be listening. Verse 1 also mentions the word supplication. That just simply means to ask. And part of having a conversation with God our Father Includes asking him for help with things at times. At which point it may be necessary to do a self check and question myself as to why am I asking for this particular thing? What is my motive behind this petition? Is it really a good and a proper reason? Or is it to fulfill a selfish desire? The Bible says, Ye ask and ye receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And you know the best way to prevent selfishness in our prayers and in life in general is to put others first. And we can apply that to everything in our life. People tend to enjoy life more when they actually put the needs of others before their own. It has been proven over and over again that those that take the time to do things for others without the intention of getting something in return and without the expectation of recognition will actually be happier and more content with their life. Which brings us to the next part of prayer, which is intercession. Intercession is when we make a request on behalf of others. And as a Christian, when we are having a conversation with God, there should be a time when we bring the needs of others before his throne. Someone may be in the process of making a a life-changing decision, and they want to make sure that it's the right decision that they're making. Maybe they're in need of a miracle because they want to prevent some catastrophic event. Maybe uh, they're going through a major life struggle, and they just need some compassion, some encouragement to get them through this. Whatever the reason, praying for others gives us a new perspective on some of the issues that we're personally dealing with. You know, at times are, are what we thought were big issues. They'll become quite minuscule when we're praying for other people's problems. So then we take the time to bring up someone else's difficulties to God. <clears throat> when we do that, God gives us this, this new mindset and a and it's compassion because I'm praying for someone that is going through a difficult time and I'm putting their needs before my own. And they are in need of in, in this intercessionary uh, prayer. And whatever my problem was, it kind of fades in the background. And if you've gone through a difficult time in the past, or maybe you're going through a difficult time now, you know how comforting it is when a, com- a Christian comes to you and he says, you know, I'm praying for you. It's not just some matter of fact, uh, oh, thoughts thoughts in your way. It's, it's not the same thing when a Christian says, I'm praying for you. Because it's not just some anecdotal statement anymore. To think that this person is having an intimate conversation with God and that they're going out of their way to bring up your needs before him on your behalf. I don't think there's anything more encouraging than that. And when we are encouraged, then we find a reason to give thanks. Even when we're going through the most difficult of circumstances and situations, I mean, you just can't help but give thanks. Which is why giving thanks is also part of prayer. Thanking God always. Well, both through the good times, but also through the difficult times. We always give thanks. And if you have a proper understanding of what God has done to redeem you, well then, giving thanks becomes a natural part of your life. You will know, thank him when he answers your prayers with a positive yes. You'll thank him when he answers your prayer with a no. Because you know he has yo in his heart. And he wants what's best for you. I might think I need something. And if he says no, I'll be like, thank you, God, because I obviously didn't need that. You'll thank him when things are going well. But you'll also thank him when you're going through some of life's difficulties. And that truly grateful attitude comes from knowing that one day we're going to leave this temporary body and we're going to have everlasting life through Jesus Christ. So now that we have this understanding of what prayer is, we're going to look at the next part of our text, beginning again in verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, And giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. The Word of God says that we are to pray for all men. So we address part of that. But notice that the other component to this statement, okay? It says that we are to pray not just for some, but for all men. That includes women, by the way. All means that we should pray for those that we love, and that those that we know. Also those that we don't love. It also means that we ought to be praying for those that we may not even like. Those that may be causing us grief, torment. I was speaking with someone the other day and they were telling me about how their neighbor was difficult to deal with at that time. It was the kind of neighbor that the wind blows a leaf off your tree, it lands in their yard, you're going to get an earful. That kind of neighbor. Needless to say, the situation was quite stressful. And they were actually considering a move because of the tension of this neighbor. In fact, the whole neighborhood was affected just by this dark cloud over this neighbor's home. And they began to pray about it because they wanted to make sure that they want to seek God's heart as to where they should move. The last thing they wanted to do was be in the same predicament as they are now. They didn't want to move from this place which was stressful in this negative neighbor, to another place, which might be the same or worse. So they sought God in prayer. <clears throat> and as they were praying, God was working on them. And that stress faded away. And then they were thinking, how can we be a better neighbor? How can we demonstrate the love of Christ to this person? Fast forward now, a couple months, and they have become quite amicable. In fact, the kindness that was demonstrated to this caustic person has affected them so much that the surrounding neighbors even noticed the change in his demeanor. So what was at one time, a constant stress was now just a part of the past. And that's how it is. Thankfully, God gives us these minds that can't remember every single detail of every little thing because now it's part of the past. It's not there anymore. So we pray for everyone because prayers make a difference. God didn't tell us to pray just to keep us busy. I'll keep you guys. here, you know, when you do that with kids sometimes, oh, I need you to do this. Go do this over there, right? God doesn't do that. He gave us prayers because prayers make a difference. And we pray for all that are in authority over us. So let's put that into perspective here. If you're living in your parents' home, and if they're footing the bill, okay, that would include them. So pray for your parents often, and you'll find that it'll help you just as much as it helps them. Those in authority also include your boss. Did you know that you could positively affect what your employer thinks about God simply by the way you behave at work? Most of you know that. <laughs> but with that being said, if you're cutting corners at the job, you know, if you're trying to get out of doing what you're supposed to do, if you're calling in sick on purpose constantly, don't talk to your boss about God, please. On the other hand, Praying for your boss will cause you to have more empathy with what they may be going through, the things that they have to deal with. We don't know what people are going through. Pray for them. You'll want to be a better employee, and then they may even notice the difference in the way you work versus somebody else in the way they work. And then God will ultimately be glorified. You know, some of us may want to buckle up for the next part. I'm just warning you, okay? The Word of God says that we are to pray for kings. And whether or not you voted for them, that would include the premiers and our prime minister. Okay? And I probably don't have to tell you how difficult that could be. To pray for someone that constantly calls evil good and good evil. I have this Christian publication that I normally get in the mail. It's from the Christian Jew Foundation. And they have the typical, you know, uh, kinds of write-ups that you would expect to see in in Christian publications. It's like a mini-magazine that I get. All of a sudden, about three or four years ago, they stopped coming in. I was sent an email by the publisher. They were saying, we tried to send you, and all of our clients in Canada, it was all sent back. It was considered hate mail at this point. Yeah. So they did a workaround. They put them all in these big envelopes instead, mailed them out to us. So now they don't see what's it's Christian material, so they still put it through. So I'm thinking, this is not a good sign. As soon as they say anything that's contrary to their thought process, they call it hate speech. Fast forward to last month. A friend of mine from Florida sends me a private letter by mail. In that letter, he had some gospel tracts. So he sends me this letter, and I'm like, call him up, and I'm like, yeah, or email him. Actually, I said, yeah, I didn't get it yet. I said, did you, when did you send it? He goes, oh, yeah, I sent it like three weeks ago. Okay. Finally, he gets it back at his place. It said, undeliverable. I'm like, that's weird. I said, did you write Canada? Because you never know, right? So I said, did you write Canada on there? And there's that big yellow sticker at the bottom. So you peel it off. He says, yeah. It even says Canada. The address was perfect. What's the issue? I noticed on the photo that he sent me, the top of the letter had been open. I said, hey, was that open when you received it? He goes, yeah, it was. So what happened is now they're going through my mail. Ooh, he sent him some gospel tracts with a letter. Send it back. So you can imagine I wasn't too pleased that this stuff is going on. Nevertheless, when I came across this passage, this is me drinking from the monkey cup. When I came across this passage, I was fully convicted. Because I probably prayed for our prime minister a handful of times in four years. Who's a monkey now? And you know what? I'll be honest, man. Confession time. It was half-hearted. Yeah, go up. please be with the prime minister. He totally needs you. That kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> Nothing like when I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters. Man, when people are struggling, petition God. God, they need you. When it comes to a handsome man, it's like, yeah, he's there. God, we need to get him out. That was the only thing that was in my mind. God was working in my heart. Maybe he's there because he wants me to pray for him. Which brings us to the next part in the text, which describes to us why we need to pray for kings, or if you will, premiers, uh, premiers and prime ministers. <clears throat> starting midway into verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Just, again, in order to prevent any possible confusion, this is not peaceable life, meaning like I'm chilling on the beach, kind of peaceable life, okay? This means that we are going to be able to live a godly life, sharing the love of God and vocalizing our faith with others that we would be able to do so without government interference or persecution. This is coming from guys that were being persecuted. You know, at times we may be tempted to keep our faith under wraps so that we won't get, have to deal with any pushback. But the opposite is true. If you study history, you'll notice that when the Gali choose to not clearly communicate the truth of God's word, that eventually the opposition will become the rudder that controls the nation. And so we want to pray for those in authority because prayer is good, and prayer makes a difference. We pray that they would let us be a group of Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. That's what we want. Verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved <clears throat> and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. You know, Back in the first century, Christian persecution was escalating. They were hunted like animals. Authorities would actually go into the homes and drag people out, bring them to jail, or kill them. But that didn't deter the Christians. In fact, they continued daily to worship God. It al- it's almost like it energized them because they knew there was a spiritual warfare going on. And that was one of the things that I needed to remind myself. This is a spiritual warfare. One man in particular that was heading up the cause against the Christians was Saul of Tarsus. Dare I ask how many of us would have been praying for Saul instead of against Saul at that time. I would have been praying against Saul. We don't know who all was praying for Saul, but the Bible does record the prayers of one man in particular. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, we read uh, as this follower of Jesus Christ by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was this outspoken follower of the way. And was in the process of actually being stoned to death. Now stoning to death was not these little pebbles, it's these massive rocks. They're not rounded, they're quite jagged. Either way, you're being stoned to death, it's not going to be any better. And Stephen was, being in, the process of, uh, was in the process of being stoned to death by this, this mob, which included Saul of Tarsus. And at his last remaining breath, Stephen prayed for them. Acts seven, fifty four. it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, He fell asleep. And this prayer was near and dear to God's heart because he wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth and of salvation. And that's what Stephen was doing. He's saying, God, give him another chance. Don't lay this to their charge. Don't wipe them out. I want them to be saved. The very people that are stoning him, I want them to be saved. So when it's talking about truth, it's not talking about truth in general. He's specifically talking about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this truth is what converted Saul, who became Paul. The man that gave his life for Christ. The man that was actually the author of this epistle. And to think, I probably would have never prayed for Saul. And that truth is that no matter how good a person is, or they think they may be, they are still in need of a savior. Because ultimately, the good deeds will never cleanse the sin that they have. It's in their nature. And sin, no matter how small we may consider it to be, is just evidence that everyone is born with a sinful nature. And the Bible says that we will receive our just wages. It's because a righteous God cannot overlook sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But it also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Which brings us to verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. So the scripture makes it very clear. I'm not great in math, but I can count to one. The scripture says there is one God. Not a variety of God so that we can you know, choose the one that suits our particular needs for this specific day. And there's only one way to have access to God. And that access is through Jesus Christ himself. So when someone says, oh, I believe in God, I just, I just don't believe in Jesus or I believe in God, I just don't believe that the Bible is true, well, they may not even realize that their faith is actually not in the one true God. The Bible says that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And as much as people should do good deeds, I'm not saying go out and you know, not do good deeds. We should be doing good deeds. Non-Christians love doing good deeds as well. But as much as good deeds are good, they may not understand that those good deeds will not help them with salvation. And if they are relying on these good deeds in in order to have favor with God, well, the Bible makes it very clear as to what that outcome will be. And these are things that Stephen would be thinking of. It says, there is a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, Saul was one of the most religious men in his day. He prayed often. And yet, he was still on his way to hell. Because he was relying on his religious zeal. Christ himself had to actually intervene while Paul was on the road to Damascus because he didn't believe in the testimony of Jesus. Jesus had said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can get to the Father but through him. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And people didn't believe. And the moment that Saul believed in what Jesus uh, said and who he was is the moment that Paul's life was forever changed. And he became the man known as the Apostle Paul. He had completely surrendered his life to Christ and that burden of sin that he was actually trying to work off had now been taken away completely and forevermore by none other than God himself. And Paul finally came to the realization that God loved him so much that he had given his only begotten son for him. That man Christ Jesus who had paid for our sin with his own life's blood when he bore it on the cross in our substitutionary death. And Paul was forever changed. He no longer classified people based on their position in life, on their religiosity, whether someone was a king or a pauper. Paul now prayed for them, and he wanted them to come to that same knowledge of truth. So in the end, the most important thing about prayer is not so much how we pray, it's whether or not we have a personal relationship with the one that we are praying to. And we should want to pray for our leaders. Because they are able to make changes with the stroke of a pen that could have dire consequences on the direction of this country. And yet, just like Saul, all it takes is one encounter with Jesus and their lives can be changed forever. With that being said, if you want to be encouraged today, and if you want to have someone pray with you after the service, feel free to stop by the prayer room here, okay? Someone will be glad to meet with you uh, and encourage you and pray with you, okay? Let's pray. Father, you alone are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, you raise up kings, you remove them. Lord, we lift up our leaders to you and ask that you would bring about a Damascus type of event in their lives. That it would cause them to surrender their wills to yours. Father, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that it is to pray for others. And our desire is that you would ultimately come or that they would ultimately come to the knowledge of the truth and of salvation and that you would be glorified, and that they would do this through Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for being Lord of all. Please, Lord, be with us all throughout this week, and help us to live out this sort of lives that will make you proud. Amen.